0: A couple of weeks ago we began uh, a series on prayer and uh, we titled that sermon Preparation, if you recall. This morning we start to get into it a little more and we're looking at uh, specifically the Lord's Prayer um, as um, we hear about it from Jesus teaching his disciples but also from the Heidelberg Catechism. So we'll be reading that in a moment. But um, you, you know that there are places where Scripture just lovingly tells us, or the writers do, by the direction of the Holy Spirit, that God is our Father, that we are His children. One of those places is John chapter 1, verse 12, where we hear familiar words, yet to all who did receive Jesus, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So think of that that we are children of God because God is our Father. And then also, if you recall, the very familiar story of the resurrection, right? And after the resurrection, Mary is uh, bowing down to Jesus and she grabs his cloak and, and grabs his feet. And, and he says these words to Mary, "'Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father.'" Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. Imagine Mary hearing that, my Father and your Father. They share the same Father in heaven. And then we're going to read then Luke chapter 11. I invite you to turn to that text, Luke chapter 11, where you'll see Jesus answering a question from one of his disciples with very familiar words once again, the music of which we just heard a few moments ago during the offering. The Lord's Prayer, right? And we read these words Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, page 1480. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. So he was praying. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And then, if you turn in your gray-colored hymnals, we'll read the questions and answers there about um, those those words, right? Our Father in Heaven. We'll pay particular attention to just the words "Our Father" this morning. But we'll read both Lord's Days, Lord's Day forty-six, page nine hundred eighteen. I should have said that first, page nine hundred eighteen in the back pages of the gray hymnal, page nine hundred eighteen. I'll read those questions, questions 120 and 121, if you would respond in unison with the answers. Page 918. Why did Christ command us to call God our Father? At the very beginning of our prayer, Christ wants to kindle in us what is basic to our prayer, the childlike awe and trust that god through christ has become our father our fathers do not refuse us the things of this life god our father will even less refuse to give us what we ask in faith and then why the words in heaven these words teach us not to think of god's heavenly majesty as something earthly and to expect everything for body and soul from his almighty power." Thank you for reading those answers. <clears throat> Beloved in Jesus Christ, imagine, imagine a guy like Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples. He's been a tax collector, a Jew working for the Roman government. Uh, He likely endured the reputation that all tax collectors had as a traitor to his own people and invariably corrupt, known for skimming some extra tax off the top for himself. Imagine a guy like Matthew, a new follower of Jesus, listening to Jesus teach Maybe it was he who asked Jesus in Luke 11, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Imagine a guy like Matthew, considered a thief, a sinner. Imagine Matthew hearing Jesus say, when you pray, say, Father. Surely a sound for Matthew's sore ears, isn't it? Imagine the woman at the well, a Samaritan, someone from Samaria, someone that Jewish people considered unclean, so unclean, the Jews would detour miles around Samaria so as to have nothing to do with it. Imagine the woman at the well, like Matthew, she had a reputation all her own, living with a man not married to her married five times before and surely most if not all of those marriages ended in divorce imagine a woman like her meeting jesus and hearing from him that the time has come for even samaritans to worship the father in heaven she has a father in heaven surely It was music to her ears. Imagine a man like the Apostle Paul, formerly named Saul. He was the coat check guy for the stoning of Stephen, a follower of Jesus. Saul stood there with coats all around him, giving approval to Stephen's death. Quite a reputation Saul had. He became a leading Jew of his day, working hard to exterminate the church, Breathing out murderous threats against Jesus' disciples, he rounded up Christians, threw them in prison, and threw away the key. Imagine a man like Saul, meeting Jesus, having his life completely changed, and being told that he, too, was adopted into God's family. That he, too, because of Jesus, could cry out, Father, Abba! daddy. Was he hearing things? No. It was true. Even Saul could call God father because of Jesus' work on the cross. Imagine a person like you, like me. We each know what we're like, the kind of people we are the secret sins we harbor. Imagine a person like you, like me, sometimes proudly assuming that if anyone deserves salvation, well, we do. And on the other hand, sometimes assuming our life of sin and wrongdoing and evil thoughts and words and harsh deeds and that could never, that God could never could never save someone so guilty as you or I. Imagine that person, like you, like me, meeting Jesus, and Jesus looks you in the eye and says to you, my Father in heaven is also your Father in heaven. If that isn't good tidings of great joy, I don't know what is. The Catechism tells us that we, too, may call God Father. The Catechism tells us the unimaginable is true for us, too. Just like for money-grubbing Matthew and for sordid Samaritan woman and for coat-check clerk Saul, it's unimaginable that they and we can call God Father. But it's true, Jesus says. Think of it, how awesome that is. God, the creator of the world, the one who, think of it, whirls galaxies around like they are marbles, the one who injects fall trees with vibrant Crayola colors, that God we may call Father. The catechism says Jesus commands us to call God Father. Why do you think that is? Well, for one very simple reason, it's a gracious reason. It's always with God the Father that way. Without God as our Father, we're lost, we're abandoned, we're orphaned in this great big world. We are stepped on, we come to nothing, and no one can stop it. No one can help us get through this dangerous world except our Father in heaven. Now, each of us typically has a set of earthly parents who try courageously to guard us, keep us, shine their faces upon us, and they do the best they can. Some do it better than others. Some totally mess it up. But there they are, fathers and mothers trying to take care of their kids in a world that is menacing, it's broken and violent, it's wrenching and writhing. There they are, a couple of parents, sometimes one, standing up between that giant, violent world and their tiny, helpless children. Now, even the best of fathers and mothers can't take care of their kids perfectly. Think of Hollywood's Hall of Fame, Ozzie and Harriet Nelson, Ward and June Cleaver, Mike and Carol Brady, Shirley Partridge, Howard and Marion Cunningham, Danny Tanner, Mike and Frankie Heck, Mike and Vanessa Baxter. I hope I hit all the generations there. Even the best of the best mess it up. Because the world is messed up, and so is the human heart. And when our parents do mess up, and they will, us children realize that our fathers and mothers just aren't enough. We need someone bigger, someone better, perfect, and all-powerful. We need someone who can take care of the big things, like brokenness, and sin, and death. Either, uh, I should say, enter, enter God the Father. Enter God the Father, center stage. Jesus lets us in on it in his prayer instruction. He tells his disciples, pray like I do, Father. Jesus says, God is your Father too. God wants to be your Father. God is the ultimate Father. No matter what kind of earthly father you've had, There is only one who is perfect and will love you like you've never been loved ever, and it's God your Father. The Word of God lets us in on that wonderful secret of grace that the Apostle Paul learned, Romans 8, verse 14, says, Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. What a great secret. You're in on it. There's an adoption program. There's an adoption program we find out for all the orphans of the world. For all the fatherless. For all the ones who find out that their daddies mess it up all the time. For all the ones who find that out and still love their dads, and for all the ones who have seen awful things in their dads and have had to cut ties, the secret is still out for all of us. The greatest and perfect Father does exist. He is God. He is your Heavenly Father. And He loves like no father on earth can or ever will. And we can have Him as our Heavenly Father when He adopts us into His family. Anyone, who's ever been a, or anyone who has ever adopted a child knows that the adoption process is um, decorated with miles and miles of red tape. It's trimmed with hoops to jump through, but that's not God's adoption program. No hoops at all, no red tape, just red blood and belief. God gets right to it, and says, my adoption program is simple. All the red tape has already been cut through at the cross. The blood has been shed, all of it. And that rem- that all that remains now is belief. The, the Apostle Paul tells us about it in Galatians 3, verse 26. He says, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. That's all. Faith. Belief in Jesus Christ, and in what he has done, secures your adoption papers from your Father in heaven. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. You're adopted into his family. Jesus' Father is your Father. Friends, if you need a Father who's perfect, who protects you no matter what, who cleanses you from your sins, takes the guilt away, who picks you up after a day you spend sinning and forgives you, who participates with you every single second of your life, who accepts you just as you are with all the faults you try to hide from others, who is committed to turning you into a person who looks more and more like his son, Jesus Christ, his perfect son, who will pass you safely through from death unto life eternal, who will welcome you into his eternal home that he's preparing for you. If this is the father you need, then there's good news for you. This father is ready for you to adopt you. His adoption plan is all ready to go. He is your heavenly father. Think about it. The tax-tallying traitor was let in. The wanton woman at the well was let in. The coat clerk at the stone casting was let in. And we can be let in too, to that family. And I trust so many of us are here. If that describes you, and even if it doesn't yet, keep listening. Because now we ask how do we respond to a father like that? Jesus and the Catechism suggest we respond by praying to God with two attitudes permeating our prayers. Number one, an attitude of childlike awe. And number two, an attitude of childlike trust. So first, awe, reverence, wonder. Childlike awe, For your Father in heaven, in Acts 17, verses 24 and 25, listen to who our Father in heaven is. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands and He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, rather he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. That God is our Father. Filled with heavenly majesty. Filled with power to create and provide and bless and guide. That's Jesus' Father and our Father. There's a verse in Genesis 18 that reads, Is anything too hard for the Lord? The context is a 90-year-old woman named Sarah, whom the Bible says is past the age of childbearing, is going to be blessed with a son the following year. God's messenger shares those plans with Sarah. She's in disbelief, but her heavenly father asks, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Or think about Romans 8, verse 38. Death. Life, angels, demons, present, future, powers, height, depth, anything else, none of it is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's God's strength, that's God's might, that's God's power, that's God's majesty. God is able to do it because he is almighty God. Do you live in awe, in wonder, in reverence of him? It's with that attitude, childlike awe, that we come to him in prayer. Author... Barbara Johnson recounts a story about Reeve Lindbergh, the daughter of Charles Lindbergh. Charles Lindbergh was the aviator who flew solo over the Atlantic Ocean in 1927. Crossed it. Daughter Reeve was at the Smithsonian Air and Music, <laughs> Air, and Music Air and Space Museum to speak for the occasion of the 70th anniversary of that flight, 1997. And she was invited to come early, of course, before the museum opened so she could have a close-up look at the spirit of St. Louis, the plane that her father flew across the Atlantic, the very plane. Now, if you've been to the Smithsonian, you know that that airplane is suspended from the ceiling, but they allowed Reeve and her young son, Ben, Charles Lindbergh's grandson, to get into a cherry picker, which is a long-armed crane that that carried them upward until the plane was at eye level and within their reach. And seeing the machine that her father had so bravely flown across the ocean was an unforgettable experience for Reeve. She had never touched her father's plane before. And that morning, high above the floor of the museum, she tenderly reached out to run her fingers along the door handle, which she knew that her father must have grasped many times with his own hand. And tears, tears welled up in her eyes at the thought of what she was doing. Oh, oh, Ben, she whispered to her son. And her voice was trembling. Isn't this amazing? "'Yeah,' Ben replied, equally impressed. "'I've never been in a cherry picker before.'" (laughs) The moment, of course, was lost on the young grandson, Ben, but not on daughter, Reeve. This was a moment of childlike awe for her. Another story gets more to the point. As many of you know, President Teddy Roosevelt loved the outdoors, and established all kinds of national parks and monuments in our country. And in his first inaugural address, he spoke freely of the blessings of God upon our nation. And he said this, I reverently invoke for my guidance the direction and favor of Almighty God. i just let that sit there for a while, a sitting president actually saying something like that. So be in awe of that, certainly. But it's said that when President Roosevelt entertained diplomatic guests at the White House, he was, he was fond of taking them out to the back lawn and, and at the end of the day, and as the president stood out there with them, often he gazed up at the night sky. All eyes, of course, would eventually be cast heavenward as his were. He was the president. They were following his lead, of course. He looked up. They looked up. In his day, the vast array of stars was not dimmed by city lights much, so the magnificent display of God's brilliant creation would overcome the party as they stared in wonder at it. And after a long moment, Mr. Roosevelt would say, well, gentlemen, I believe we are small enough now. Let's retire for the evening. Friends, do you have a sense, do you have a childlike awe of your Father in heaven who created and redeemed and is bringing this world to its ultimate goal when Christ is head over all in the new heaven and the new earth, childlike awe of your perfect, magnificent Father in heaven, the first attitude for praying to him. Childlike awe. The second attitude we said was childlike trust in your heavenly Father. Why strike that posture? Because the Word of God promises repeatedly that we can trust God because He is faithful to us. He will provide for us. He will give us whatever we need. He will take care of us. Seek first his kingdom and righteousness, and all the rest will be given to you as well. Matthew 6, verse 33. Childlike trust begins with realizing that this father of ours desires to give us what we need and so much more. He wants to do that. His heart is set on doing that for us no matter what who we have been, no matter how messed up our lives are, the, our Father in heaven still wants only the best for you. Romans 8.31 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? And beloved, He is for us. We're His children. He's our Father. He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up For us all, how will He not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? Sometimes that posture of childlike trust is hard, though, isn't it? Sometimes the going gets tough and it gets hard to trust Him. Sometimes there's suffering we go through, diagnoses we hear, inequities and injustices we must endure fracturing of relationships that harm us, still he tells us, trust me, I'm your father. In 2005, the Boston Globe told the story of professional baseball player, you probably remember this name, John Olrud, and his daughter Jordan, who had a rare genetic disease she has since passed. During one of her medical treatments, Old Rud held his infant daughter while doctors attempted to insert an IV. This loving father described the look in her eyes. He said, it was as if she were saying to me, what's going on? I thought you were my dad protecting me and you're holding me down and allowing them to, to poke me. How can you say you love me and let somebody do this? Knowing that even if he could tell her why all this was happening, she wouldn't understand. She was an infant. Her dad could only say, You've just got to trust me. Olrud saw an important faith lesson in that experience. He says, Sometimes with our suffering, you look to God and say, God, this, this does not make any sense. I'm getting just hammered here, and and you could could change it. But I'm sure he's looking at us, he writes, and saying, I can't tell you why I'm doing this, but it's in your best interest. You just have to trust me. Olrud concluded, it's all in his control, and he's going to be able to work this for good somehow. Beloved, we know that Ulrud's words are true because look at the good God the Father has already worked for us. He gave us a Savior, his beloved Son, who died on the cross, and look how he worked that for our good. Our sins were placed on him. Our punishment for those sins was endured by him. And we are forgiven by that death on the cross. And then his father raised him from the dead so we can have eternal life. Can God work the most awful circumstances we endure for our good? Well, if God can work good from Jesus' death, he can certainly work good from anything else we face. Friends, we have a father in heaven No matter what, who has our best interests at heart, who's able to work it all for our good. He wants what's best for us. He loves us that much. Our Heavenly Father, perfect Heavenly Father, we can trust Him with childlike trust in good times and in bad times. Childlike awe, childlike trust. Attitudes of the heart for those who are children of God. From that childlike awe and trust, we pray to our Father in heaven. Perhaps too often we go to God and proudly forget our place. He's our perfect Father. We are His imperfect children. His works in progress Perhaps too often we we forget to embrace him, forget to marvel at his strength, forget he's our perfect father who loves and protects and guards and keeps, provides and cherishes, guides and leads, saves and forgives, justifies and sanctifies and prepares our heavenly place and really just does it all, doesn't he? He is Jesus' father. Father. He is our Father, Amen. Let us pray. And we say together the words that Jesus taught his disciples, saying in unison, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread.